For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. It's time for the fifth and final vision here in the book of Daniel, and it begins with a dazzling appearance of a glorious angelic being. In their opening conversation, we learn several intriguing things about spiritual warfare and what goes on in the invisible realms. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, A Breathtaking Vision. Like everyone else, I have a few favorite movies that I've enjoyed over the years, but there's something that I like uh, as much or even better than the movie itself. It's the television specials which show how that movie was made. So it's the the movie about the movie, going behind the scenes and showing uh, busy sets and where the cameras are and, and how that a uh, special shot uh, or that um, uh, a sound effect was made. I, I'm really interested in that. You get to see that what you can't see otherwise, the actors and the wings practicing and uh, all the little mistakes and all the goofy things. And they let you in on uh, everything that goes on behind the scenes. And I, I think that's what I like about it. So tonight, uh, the curtain's going to get pulled back on our visible uh, reality, and we're going to be able to see the invisible tonight, behind the scenes, behind human history, what's going on in the angelic heavenly realms. And so it's a very fascinating chapter, and it brings us some great insights uh, as we get started here uh, tonight in Daniel chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 3 will begin. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was also called Belshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. That's the official beginning. Now he's speaking first person. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine, touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. And so if you're taking notes, uh, first of all, a godly uh, response, seeking the Lord. Now, this is the fifth and final vision that we're coming up to. And so the way to understand the last vision in Daniel is that Daniel chapter 10 introduces how it came to be how the vision came and the effect it had on Daniel. So the the chapter 10 is introducing the vision. Chapter 11 is the details about the vision. And chapter 12 is kind of the postscript, the the review of the the, um, vision itself and some encouraging ways to uh, think about it. uh, And the book closes on a positive note about that overall vision. Now, I just want to show you uh, this uh, slide of the uh, first vision of the five, because the five visions are all really about the same thing. Really, from the time of Daniel, he's given the timeline to the end of the world, 
when Christ is seen coming and, and really encountering that last day's governing uh, system and the Antichrist there. So we counted down from Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then there's a gap, and then there's something that sort of comes from that region that Christ conquers and uh, has a collision course with. And so really, all the visions really have to do with uh, more details about what's going on during these periods, especially when it comes to Israel. So really, uh, the first couple visions are, are just the overall uh, deal with uh, emphasis on the end with the Antichrist and Armageddon. And then the following three visions are really about the, the days of Greece and Persia and how Israel is trampled on during those times. And so that's really the essence of the five uh, visions. They're all kind of walking uh, our way through world history uh, all, all the time, even when we're talking about Israel and Greece and the prototype of the Antichrist, who was called Antiochus Epiphanes. And in so many ways, he's like the end-time Antichrist. Uh, everything is a reflection of the end. So it's as Israel, uh, as the world, unfo- as world history unfolds with Israel, so too we see how the end unfolds as well. And so that's what we've been seeing. So this fifth vision, thank you for the chart. Uh, this fifth vision is going to uh, be right, and thank you that it's still up here actually. It's right between Greece and Rome and, and with flavors of how the Antichrist uh, is similar to what we call the beast or the last world ruler called the Antichrist. And so that's what's going to be uh, coming up next chapter. So that said, uh, here, here we're introduced to uh, this final vision. And here in chapter 10, it talks about uh, he's got the vision already, and he, he sort of gets it. And he says it's about this terrible time of testing and crisis there in the opening verses uh, for God's people, the Jews. And a terrible war is very uh, graphic to him. And this is what stirs his heart uh, to seek the Lord. Uh, now, your, your text says that he mourned. And that word in the Hebrew um, talks about losing a loved one and grieving for someone who has died. So it's a very strong word because he, he has seen. He has seen uh, so much destruction in, coming to the, to the Jewish people. And he's seeing visions of the end of the world. And so this is a time for him to seek the Lord. So the knowledge of the things to come produced some grief and concern and prompted a time of seeking the Lord. You see, God reveals things so that we can modify our behavior, right? So he, he took the, what God was revealing to him to heart and that uh, caused him to want to seek the Lord. Uh, I was uh, talking to somebody, a young person, a young adult, who was quite moved by these series, especially starting at, at, at chapter 7 when we talk about the Antichrist and Armageddon and uh, all of that. And I was encouraging this person 
not to be uncomfortable at the stirring of the Holy Spirit in their heart because it is uncomfortable to, to believe these things are coming and to have loved ones who you think uh, may be left behind and have to endure the, the great tribulation and the wrath that is coming. Uh, the problem for me is when people believe these things and are unmoved completely. They go on with life as if they just read something out of Huck, Huckleberry Finn. Uh, the, these are prophecies from the living God that will soon come to pass. And if we really believe that, one guy was talking to me uh, poolside once and we got into a spiritual conversation and uh, he said, so you think that everybody who rejects Jesus Christ is going to perish forever? And I said, yes, I do, uh, because that's what the Bible says. He said, you must walk around with some kind of, his words, cognitive dissonance, meaning uh, uh, you must walk around with some kind of sadness and brokenness all the time, even when you're happy. I said, exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Uh, there are seasons when you're more affected than others, but certainly we're supposed to know that if somebody doesn't have the Lord, they are going to perish. If they, if they die tonight, they go to that place and there's no getting out. Shouldn't, uh, shouldn't we be stirred a little bit from time to time? I mean, we can't walk around emotional basket cases. I mean, there is joy, too, in the Christian life that brings a balance. But Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 9, he said, I, I, I'm telling you the truth in front of God. He says, I have unceasing sorrow in my heart for the Jewish people, my own people. He said, if I could, if it were possible, I'd trade places with them. In a heartbeat, knowing what's coming. So, so we're supposed to be stirred. And Daniel was stirred. He, he got this vision and it says, I understood it. I understood the message. At that time I mourned and, and I ate no choice food, no meat or wine or touched my lips. So what, he, what he's going to do is he's going to uh, have a partial fast. We're going to talk about that. But it's not just the future vision of the future that's frightening him and causing him to want to press into the Lord. It's also the plight of the Jewish people. Now, let me show you scripture out of Ezra. This is the third year of the Persian King Cyrus. His first year, two years ago from this chapter, he let the Jews go. So 42,000 of them have left Persia. Daniel hasn't left. He's almost 90 years old. He can't go back. He's lived the 70 years out. But, uh, and look at this. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, chapter 25, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Anyone of his people among you, may his God be with him, and let him go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Is that amazing? This is a pagan king. 
And he was impressed with Darius, and Darius was impressed by Nebuchadnezzar, who had faith, and, and, and Daniel, and all of this. So he's a believer. He has the fear of God upon him. The sad part is, and what's motivating Daniel to, to have this prayer and seeking the Lord, is that only 42,000 Jews go back. These kids of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and their grandchildren, if they had children, uh, they have grown up in Persia. They speak uh, their language there. And not everybody is still to go back. 42,000 out of, by the way, Cyrus is over now where the northern tribes 200 years previous were exiled to Assyria. So the proclamation is not just going to those who were taken from Jerusalem. The proclamation now goes out to the whole empire, any Jews taken. So we've got generations from the Assyrian exile are free to go back and only 42,000 Jews say, okay, we'll make the pilgrimage. The rest are happy with their hanging gardens and their Persian dancing ladies and, and their careers and all of that. And so on top of that, when you read Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra's about rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah's about rebuilding the wall. When we read that, that you will find they're having trouble. Word is getting back to Daniel. So not only only a few relatively small amount of people going. They're having financial difficulties. They're having persecution. Uh, it's not going as well as can be expected. So if you put all those layers together, you've got a guy who says, you know what? There's something more important right now going on than my three square meals a day. And, and even personal, the niceties of personal grooming, making sure my beard is perfect and I smell perfect and all of that. You know, there's something more pressing, he said. And so he's, he's almost 90 years old. He's going to seek the Lord. He can't just stop eating completely. He's going to go with vegetables. He's not going to eat dessert. He's not going to have sugars. He's just going to just drink water. He's not going out to eat. He's not being entertained. He's not turning on the television. He's going to open the Bible instead. I'm just translating for modern minds. It's not, it's not this thing where I can't eat this or I can't eat that. It's just simple modest restrictions that just say, you know what, I might skip lunch. So your plan to join us for 21 days is, is what, between you and the Holy Spirit. If you can fast uh, a little bit, a meal, a dinner, and instead of your normal routine, you seek the Lord. You open the Bible. So that's what we're, we're done, no television for our family. Barb and I are, have decided we're going to just do vegetables and, and fruit and water and have a few weeks where instead of going home and just kind of uh, going out and doing something or turning on the TV or going to a movie, we're going to talk about the Lord and just talk about the needs in our families and, and all of that and pray and seek the Lord. And uh, I'm expecting some good things. So it's a partial fast. But just focus. It just helps the body to say, okay, let's focus here. And, and here's the bottom line. There's something more important than me taking care of business here and all my little distractions. 
So maybe the hobbies kind of go away. Just as a focus, our country and Western civilization has changed forever. It will never be the same. And the sin that brought down two cities with God's judgment has now been, that behavior has been affirmed and legalized and God help you if you think otherwise. It's a time to seek the Lord for our nation, for our church, for our friends, for our family, for Christians everywhere. Amen? All right, let's move on. (laughs) That's the idea there. Verses four through nine. On the 24th day of the first month, so it's springtime, 10 days after Passover, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. (laughs) Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face uh, to the ground. Let's talk about this. So we've had a godly response, which was concern for God's people and seeking the Lord, and now um, we have a breathtaking uh, vision, an answer to prayer. Uh, So he's on business or something. No way. He doesn't tell us why he's in the Fertile Crescent they call Mesopotamia. So he's out of Babylon proper, and he's on the banks of a famous biblical river, the Tigris. Both the Tigris and the Euphrates are noted for being near the Garden of Eden. So some commentators say, interesting that God wants to reveal the end of the world in the location of the beginning of human history. God just, you know, he's a multitasker that way. He, he just likes to do things like that. Uh, and uh, he's like an artist, and he, he, he paints this beautiful uh, picture. So uh, he's going to reveal that end uh, through this magnificent angelic uh, being. And, and friends, it's the most uh, descriptive um, passage ever uh, given up. Uh, in the Bible, of angels. The word angel means messenger, and that's their primary function in serving God's people. Uh, So, first of all, in our text, what do we have? We have this human form and human dress, and that's where the similarities stop. Uh, There's this white linen that, that seems to be the attire of heavenly beings, Uh, This belt or sash in the Hebrew of gold, uh, which really speaks of authority and regalness. Uh, But that's, as I said, where it all ends. Now there's supernatural things going on, verses 6 and 7. The body is a glow with kind of a luminous golden gleam. The gemstone, I have a picture of chrysolite. 
This is what's coming, radiating, the color at least, like a gemstone from his being. And that kind of makes sense. It kind of has that uh, fiery glow uh, to it. Uh, next, it says that his face uh, was like lightning. Uh, that needs no explanation. Uh, the, his eyes like torches of blazing fire, uh, reminiscent of our Lord in Revelation chapter 1, is described in very similar ways. Uh, his arms and his legs, he must have been moving because he got to see them a little bit. He said, bronze glowing after it's been heated up. Uh, and a voice that sounded like crowds, multitudes upon multitudes speaking. So this amplified voice. The word in the Hebrew to describe the voice is of, used of torrential downpours or the, the whirl, whir of chariot wheels. Um, so, or a roar. Uh, so who is this man? Well, they're divided, the commentators. Uh, they say it's uh, something called a theophany. We've talked about that before. An Old Testament appearance of Jesus, who is the Son of God and God the Son, so he's eternal. So he, he has, Jesus makes several appearances for sure in the Old Testament. Is this one of them? I would say no, uh, because he's going to need some help from another angel. So he's going to be in conflict fighting a fallen angel. And he's going to, to, to bank on Michael, the archangel's help. He really needs help. And uh, he talks in passive terms of being sent as an answer. Now, commentators say, that's okay. Maybe there's a vision of God here, and there are a couple angels standing by, and the angels are the one doing the talking. I think that's a stretch, because I, I kept reading for that, like looking for, is that the Lord? Is that the angel? You know what? It just sounds like this guy is the one who's speaking. You know, so I'm going to go with this. Every time angels show up, they dazzle people to death every single time. The, the, the two men at the tomb uh, on, on Resurrection Sunday morning, the Roman centurions there, they fall to the ground quaking with fear. Right? Uh, let me show you, let me read to you from Revelation chapter 10 about an angel. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with rain, a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion, but not the Lord. So this may be describing Gabriel. This is what angels look like. They knock the wind out of people when they catch a vision of them. So uh, one writer said intriguing implications of this glorious being he, and wrote this. When we read of the magnificence of creatures, we will one day outshine and outrank as the co-heirs of Christ, the sons and daughters of God himself. We must wonder just what kind of glorious changes await us when God will raise our bodies from the dead. Come on. Charles Spurgeon is big on this. He says, take a look at that. You will outrank them. You are connected to Christ in a way that they are not. You will judge fallen beings like that. 
who are now called demons. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But what does the Lord say through uh, Paul? Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Read Revelation chapter 1. It it outshines this description. But he's promised to give you and me that kind of body. What's the implication of that? Paul the Apostle is big on this. 1 Corinthians 6. Live in line with the reality, the future reality of who you truly are being made to be who God sees you as. This being that would dwarf that being is who you're becoming in Christ. So he says, so tell me, Corinthians, you you guys knowing that you're going to judge fallen angels, you guys can't figure out how to get along together? He says, don't you know we're going to judge the world with Christ? We're going to reign and sit on thrones and going to look like that. Start thinking of your life and your decisions, the way you manage your life and handle yourself, the way you walk and talk and react and think and feel, to take every thought captive and make it obey Christ with the future reality of this is who I am. This is who I am. I mean, we don't walk around... (laughs) You know, you always have to go, well, are you going to go too far with that? You know, walking around with with your head in the clouds and say, you know, everybody needs to watch out for me, man, because I'm going to be great like that. You know, yeah. No, don't do that. So this supernatural glorious encounter then um, disables our elderly hero and he'll be requiring some angelic Uh, comfort and care. Uh, I do want you to notice in verse 7 something. Not everyone who's with Daniel, listen to this, sees what's going on or gets what's going on. All right? They don't see, though they're there. And I started thinking of a big stadium filled with people who are listening to the gospel and listening to gospel music. And Billy Graham uh, of old would get up there and he'd preach the word of God and somebody comes undone. The Lord touched my heart and opened my eyes and I've seen my whole life changing. And they go down and they become a different human being. At the same time, somebody's sitting there rolling their eyes. It happened inches from them. The Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 9. He's on the road. He's with his companions. And his companions don't get it. He has a vision of the Lord. And he hears the Lord speaking. And they hear some kind of voice and they panic. It's the same sort of thing. I think it's teaching something. Just because you're in the right place at the right time with other people who are getting it, you know, you find that it's a condition of the heart. It's about faith. You know, Jesus tells that, uh, the Gospels relate that story. In Mark chapter five, Jesus on his way to heal uh, or to raise some 
child from the dead or to heal somebody. It's a life and death situation. And there's a woman with an embarrassing medical problem. She doesn't want anybody to know about it. And so she, she goes up in a crowd of crowds and she sneaks through and she says in her heart, if only I could touch the hem of that robe of his, that son of God, if I just touch something connected to him, I'll get my miracle. And she did. She got through it. She, she touched him and she, she knew in her body. She knew in her body. It wasn't like electricity. Like <laughs> She knew in her body that she had been healed. And the Lord just stops dead. Everybody's, you know, into each other. And he says, who touched me? And Peter says, uh, Lord, uh, you see the crowds pressing into you, crushing you, and yet you ask us who touched you? The answer is, Lord, everyone's touching you. And the teaching from Jesus is, no, Peter, just because they're all together and I'm here doesn't mean anything in the crowd except the person who's pursuing me in faith, reaching out in faith, touching me. That person touched me. Everybody else is just not. It looks like they are. It looked like you were at the Billy Graham crusade, but you really weren't. Nothing happened there. But it did happen for many other people. And so I, I just see this. And how are you going to see anything when you're running away anyway? They, they, they start running away. They sense, wow, something big is happening here. I've got to get out. Just like people in church. They get the music. They feel the Holy Spirit is drawing them. And then they, they start to feel like, whoa, I'm slipping from my agnostic stance here. I, this is what, you know, I, I'm sort of liking this. And they get all freaked out with unbelief and fear. And they head for the door. Just like that. You know, when Jesus casts out legion, right? It just, you know, everybody's there. And they see this guy who was, they, they couldn't even chain him up. He's filled with like 2,000 demons. And he's gashing himself and crying out and howling and nobody could even pass that way. And Jesus heals him and he's sitting there. He's closed for the first time in years and he's in his right mind and the people come from the gatherings all over and they say, we want you to leave. And they beg Jesus to leave, to leave their town. It just, you just see it right here. That's all of the, all, all of, that's how we are in our sinful selves. We just get panicked. We're afraid he's going to take control and we're not going to like it. So we leave the believer standing there gazing. And so he's left there alone. None of his friends are there. He's depleted, verses eight through nine, of all this physical energy. His face is drained of all color. Do you, do you blame him? He, he looks like a corpse. Uh, at the end of himself, he says, I'm powerless. Then the angel starts to talk, and the, the, the chariot wheels are spinning, you know? And, and that did it. So Daniel essentially passes out. Once that being just, he's standing there alone. Now he's looking at that being we described. And he starts to speak at him, and he's like, this isn't going to work. I'm feeling a little woozy. <laughs> and he goes over, does a face plant, face down, and, and it says he's unconscious. He just, he says, poor guy, he's a senior citizen. God, go easy on him. <laughs> okay, 10 through 13. 
a hand touched me. So he does a face plant and the hand touches him and set me trembling on my hands and knees. <laughs> Poor guy. He said, Daniel, you're highly esteemed. Uh, I've got to tell you what this beautiful word means. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I've now been sent to you. See, you know, that's not Jesus talking like that. I've been sent to you. I don't think so. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, the archangel, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And then he'll go on to say the end. And so we know that though it will talk about recent uh, and not too far future for Israel, it is shadowing the end of the world. And so you, we've had a godly response. Uh, secondly, a breathtaking vision. And now the purpose revealed in all of this. He's going to respond to his prayer and bring clarity and so on. So, and uh, so with the purpose now to reveal some more information to Daniel, uh, we're going to gain some fascinating insights about the unseen world of angels and demons. And so uh, Daniel gets the help that he needs. You see that um, with a physical touch. And we've seen that before as well. Even in Jesus' life, you know, in, in, it, where is it? Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus uh, fasts 40 days and he goes into spiritual combat with the devil. And at the end of that time, he's pretty depleted. And, and it says that there are wild animals out there in the wilderness, but the angels came to minister to him. So they were strengthening him. When he was uh, sweating drops of blood in the garden, there in Luke chapter 22, it says angels came and strengthened him. Just like this with their hand. They, they're able to. And you know we have guardian angels. That's why I chose Psalm 91. Those who are inheriting salvation, they will bear us up in their arms lest we dash our foot against a stone. He's just saying, they're looking out for you. Everyone has angels. There are angels in this place. They worship with God's people. I, I'm sort of glad that's all invisible to us because that would just freak most of us out, <laughs> you, you know? But 1 Corinthians 11 says, you know that, that we ought to res, uh, worship in respectful ways back in the context of those days because of the angels worshiping with us. Uh, they're there here. Oh. <laughs> you know, I happen to be a believer. So, I, I mean, when I read verses in the Bible that say the angels worship with us, I actually believe it. And then I start to have an emotional response to what I actually believe. Amen? Yeah. Uh, thank you. I love you. <laughs> All right, and so, yeah, so the angel it encourages 
uh, him. So, so, so physically, right? So the second way that the angel encourages him is to remind him of his standing with God. Every time we get close to God, what do you think of? You think of your own sins and your hypocrisy and your, and your true sinful nature that nobody else knows. And that seems to be what undid Isaiah, the prophet. He saw the Lord in chapter 6 of Isaiah, his prophecy. And he said, you know, this, he he says, um, I wrote it down somewhere. He says, woe to me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips dwelling among a people with unclean mouths. And he just was aware of his sin and his need uh, before the Lord. And, and, and so he's saying, listen, and that word in the, in the Hebrew means, you are precious in the sight of God. There's no need for you to be on your face quivering and thinking, oh, no, you're going to find out what an imposter I really am. Everybody thinks I'm Daniel, the great man of God, but they don't know that those are gifts and calling but I have a sinful heart just like everybody else. He says, no, no worries. You're precious in God's sight and that that builds him up. He's able to say, okay, God loves me. If God loves me and is for me, who could be against me? So he's, he's able to take heart because of he knows his standing. He knows God loves him. Do you know that? Do you know that God is not against you? Do you know that God is not just waiting to bring down the other shoe? Right? Amen. And so he says, uh, as a result of you being precious in your prayer, I'm here because of your prayer. James 5 and verse 16 says, the prayer of a person right with God is powerful and effective. Look at this. This guy's prayer moved heavenly powers. And and just because he couldn't see anything right away didn't mean it wasn't happening. And that's going to be one of his points. Are you aware that when you pray, you you could be unleashing powers in heaven? That's just the amazing thing. He said, listen, Daniel, from the moment, from the moment you humbled yourself, that first meal that you set aside and said, you know what, I'm just going to open it. I'm going to have some carrots and some celery sticks and a big glass of water, and I'm opening up my Bible. said, bingo. From there on, when you humbled yourself and said, I'm not going to go do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to discipline myself, you were heard in heaven. I was dispatched on that day, in that moment. Just because you didn't see it doesn't mean God wasn't working. There are so many things that you can't see going on in this room with transmissions and electronic things and internet. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there or not working. Farmers plant all the time and lots lots of things are going on under the surface. You can't see anything, but there's life. It's happening. So don't be so quick to say, oh, nothing's happening. I've been praying for years and nothing's happening. Something's happening. From the moment you humbled yourself and trusting the Lord and putting that prayer up there. This is a lesson and keep on praying. But there was this 21 
10-day delay. Why? This is incredible to me. Because one would think, you know, an angel from God like that could just say to any fallen angel, get out of the way, dude, I'm coming through. But why is, why is the fallen angel able to cause a hindrance with the work of God and a mighty archangel like this? Well, God is doing a work and he is sovereign over every delay that seems like a delay. But God has a purpose and timing. So he's working these things out. Let me remind you that there's a battle and a conflict and there's resistance and a power struggle. Let me show you the verse from Ephesians that fits this kind of warfare. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you could take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And his prayer is, is connected to some of that battle going on that we are involved with our praying and our obedience and our faith that there's an unseen war going on as well. And apparently, a third of the angels, Revelation chapter 12 sort of implies this, that a third of God's angels followed one of the head angels, Lucifer, and a third of them went his way. And they went from being what we call angels to really what we call demons, but they're just fallen angels. And there seems to be a battle. The other thing, <laughs> there is a battle going on. The other thing about this, it seems to point out that there are certain fallen angels or demonic spirits, which they are, that are responsible over regions and localities in the world. Because you have this prince of Persia. Later, he's going to talk about the coming prince of Greece. And he's not talking about human beings. He's talking about his spiritual battle as an angel. You know, that, that is just fascinating stuff. So why does God allow a delay? Well, why does God allow a, a lot of things? You know, one of the interview, interviews from that terrible shooting in South Carolina, one of the beautiful Christian families, one of the daughters said, listen, about my grandfather who died, she said, Sometimes God may allow what he hates to achieve what he loves. There's a delay going on. You know that God could have just given him the victory right then and there, but he's using that to build something in Daniel, to prepare his people over here. Timing is a big deal with the Lord. And so the Lord allows a struggle, a delay, what? In John 11, he heard that his friend Lazarus was sick unto death. And then it says, and so he waited four days. So Jesus waited four days. He delayed for a purpose because he had something in mind. He was going to use the delay to, to bring God's glory. And so that's what we see uh, going on here. Ultimately, in verse 13, God uh, sends Michael um, to assist uh, 
this angel in his struggle, and it broke the resistance of the king of Persia. Man, can you imagine? Can you imagine what they look like? And Wow, it's just an amazing thing. Jesus, uh, the New Testament application of this whole thing is Jesus' great parable, Luke chapter 18. You should always pray and never give up. And he talked about this widow who would go to the judge every day just asking, hey, I need some help. Hey, I need some help. Hey, I need some help. And he said, man, I'll tell you what, that judge didn't fear God. He wasn't even a nice guy. Didn't even care about the woman. But because she just kept showing up every day, he answered her. And she got what she wanted. And he says, how much more is God not anything like that judge? If you come continually, he says, I can guarantee you this. They will get what they're asking for. And they'll get it swiftly and quickly. Uh, That is the idea. What if Daniel just said, you know what? You know, I just read Jeremiah 25. We all go back. I already know in my heart. He gave me the vision at the end. Christ comes. This Messiah comes. And and, and vanquishes the foe, and Israel's exalted, and the world goes on with God's kingdom. I don't know all that. It's going to happen whether I deny myself and seek the Lord and go through a little bit of spiritual discipline or not. So why bother? Why bother? It matters. It matters. Who was it that said, if I knew the world was going to end tomorrow, I'd still plant my apple tree today? You know, I think it was Martin Luther in the 1500s. We're prepared for today to be with the Lord. But we're also in this for as long as God gives us, right? And so we need to pray and seek him. And be engaged. That's what the the lesson here is. What if he just said, you know, on day 20, I'm done with this. You know, okay, that was enough. He didn't feel released. How many of us stop at day 20, whatever that is, (laughs) or or we just don't even pray very motivated prayers? I'm afraid to know what didn't, what wasn't revealed what wasn't granted, because I just wouldn't just get out of bed in the morning. Just get out of bed just for a few minutes and open the word. What what has my life been diminished of because I just won't go the extra mile that he's asking. Just seek me. Just look to me in this area. Come on. Instead of that thing you're, you're dying to do, you know you need some time with me. You know you need to start reading the Bible a little bit. What, what have we foregone in that temporary gain of comfort or whatever it is that we're doing to replace the time when God is calling us to get out of bed? Spend some time on your knees. Talk to me about this thing. Let's finish up. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground. I was speechless. And one who looked like a man touched my lips. And I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I'm helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. 
Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed. Second time, he said, peace. Be strong now. Be strong. When, <laughs> that's how I picture it. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. And said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. Wow. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. You know, Bible verses came at, at around 1100 AD. They're not inspired. So once in a while you get a, a weird thing like verse one really belongs with the close of the parentheses there. So it kind of went into chapter 11 by one verse. Let's take a look at this. A godly response, a breathtaking vision, the purpose revealed, and now Daniel is strengthened. So verses 15 through 19 is just stuff we've been talking about. Uh, Once again, the Lord wants to emphasize the supernatural nature of this encounter. Uh, It's kind of par for the course when these kinds of visions uh, happen. You remember when John saw the Lord in Revelation 1, what does it say? It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. You know, so apparently mighty angels evoke the same kind of uh, reactions in human beings. Uh, So Daniel's strengthened five verses later, (laughs) and he gets a grip enough so the angel can continue. So we close out now with verses 20 and 21 and verse 1. So interesting insights here. So listen to this. The angel's about to explain how the countries, in chapter 11, he's going to explain how Persia and Greece and Rome interact. So he's going to really talk about Greece and and Rome, the powers clashing, right? And about the Antichrist and Israel, right? But first he talks about his job as an angel with those angelic, um, these demons who are over those areas. In other words, what I'm saying is, in chapter 11, we're talking about physical countries of Rome, uh, Rome, Roman Empire, Greece, and Israel. Now, but he's talking, hey, first I've got to go soon, because the battle for me, I've got the, the prince of Persia, right? The prince of Greece. And then he talks about Michael, who's the archangel guard, who guards Israel, Then, in 11, we're going to go from the heavenly scene to the human battleground. So what I'm seeing here is is that the heavenly powers are in battle, and they're connected to the human powers. And by the way, he says, when in in verse 1 of 11, he says, and by the way, I was the one assigned to protect Darius, when he came into power. Of course, if anybody had a satanic hit on him, it would be this king who's sympathetic to the Jews. 
this pagan king, Darius, is going to with Cyrus, let the Jews go. So this angel is saying, and by the way, I was the one guarding him. And I'm not going to stand around here forever because i got to go back because the prince of Persia is coming and i got to fight him and i got to fight the, the prince of Greece as well. That's just fascinating to me that there, it's this double-layered battle going on. And what, what's more interesting is that we're involved. We're like kind of the pawns. We're like some of the prizes. We're, right, we're caught in the middle. Might as well just get on our knees and, and do some uh, spiritual warfare. Now, the implications, can you imagine CNN tonight showing you what's really going on over there in Syria, in the Ukraine, in Iraq with ISIS? You know they're going crazy up there. There's all kinds of things, but this just raises interesting questions for me in these contests of uh, strength with angels and demons. What does that look like? Where does the battle take place? Is it in heaven? In Revelation chapter 12, it seems to imply that it's going on in heaven. If you read that, I mean, they get kicked out. You know, but it's in heaven when Michael and the dragon are warring and the dragon gets booted out. I mean, these are intriguing things. I don't have all the answers. I'm just saying, wow, when I read this, how do bodiless spirits fight each other? What kind of weapons are they? I mean, this is just like straight out of a Star Wars movie, you know, or something. You just see these aliens and they're just firing on each other with these laser type things. I mean, nobody knows that something's happening. There's a conflict. They're wrestling it out. And there are hindrances and two steps forward and three steps back kind of things happening. But there's a lot of mystery and intrigue. But one thing is certain. God wins and team heaven prevails. You know why I know this? Because I read the last chapter in the book. (laughs) I read the last chapter. Revelation 22. All those demons, you know where they end up? in the fire that was prepared for the devil and them. Hell was never prepared for a human being. The Bible says it was prepared for Lucifer, the fallen one, Satan, the devil, and his angels, his whole hierarchy. The prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, the prince of San Francisco, the prince of Las Vegas, the prince of New Orleans. And the mayor, Santa Rosa. No, no, I don't mean the mayor. I, I mean the, the little guy who's flirting around here trying to, well, I mean, it may be a big guy too. You just never know what's important. You know, we talked to one of the churches Jesus did. He said, I know where you guys live. I know how hard it is because you live right where Satan has his throne. There are some places that have more powerful spiritual oppressors than others. There are some cities that are notorious for putting out things that stumble the world. Hollywood. Do you know how many princes are over that place? Because the entire world has been affected by Hollywood and Washington There are some mighty, mighty, powerful, warring angels, according to the Bible. 
And the best news of all is that you, simple, Christian, ordinary Joe and Jill, Christians, and we've got both of them here tonight. <laughs> I saw them. You can, you can affect the, the fighting. I've come as a result of your prayers. You, your prayers moved me from heaven to here. That gets me wanting to pray instead of thinking my prayers are floating up to the ceiling and bouncing down on my head. Do you know what I'm saying? What fun is that? These mindless prayers that don't go anywhere, don't feel anything. It's just like blah, blah, blah. I don't even think that anything's going to happen when I pray. But when we get all fired up with the word of God and we're in this kind of chapter and we see, listen, heaven was changed. The second you really meant business, God said, go now. And here I am. Things are different because you prayed. Now let me close with this. In 1979, five of the six Rhinemans in my family got saved in that year, except one my 13-year-old brother at the time. He got swept up with it all. My brother and I had a vision in a bar. We came home. We were born-again Christians. My dad was already a born-again Jewish believer. My mother saw my brother and I come in. She got saved. My sister was already kind of there. And then, then when we got saved, she got saved too. We all got down on our knees, and we prayed the sinner's prayer together in a family. We all got baptized together, including my 13-year-old brother, but it never stuck with him. He never really got saved. And he led an entire life, terrible life, estranged from all of us for decades. And Friday, well, a couple months ago, it was his birthday, and I called him, and I left a voicemail. It doesn't pick up. And I start texting him. Just, hey, out of the blue. Hey, I've been thinking about you. The Lord put them on my heart. I started, not a big thing, but just a little prayer here and there. Like, oh, yeah, I have a brother. It's been 36 years, right? He calls me on Friday. I'm in L.A. at that getting ready for the conference. In fact, we were out to eat. And he's weeping. I need God in my life. He says, I've been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. They can't get it under control. Nobody knows what's wrong with me. It's getting worse. It's out of control. I'm feeling about I'm ready to die, and I don't know the Lord, and I've lived a terrible life. I've wasted my whole life. He was texting me at first, and I said, say the sinner's prayer. Say the sinner's prayer. And he goes, will you lead me? I'm like, yeah, I'll lead you. So I went to the bathroom and locked myself in there. This is a Mexican restaurant, right? And, and it's the echoing and the fan and the people. And, and, the, and I hear people trying to get in. And I'm like, uh, dear Heavenly Father, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And I hear him, oh, Unbelievable. And on Friday was the day that could have been a real downer to me personally. 
But God picked that day and said, I want you to associate it with life, not death. Right? And so every day he's texting me, what does the gospel mean? Oh, oh, what kind of church should I go to? Oh, what about my wife? How do I tell her all of this? Uh, So yeah, Sunday, he got dressed up in a suit and tie and went to a Calvary chapel. Um, I should have warned him. He said, he texted me, I was a little overdressed. He said, I spent an hour with the pastor. I told him my whole life story. And, 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 and oh, every single morning. Uh, so, so what is it? What's the rapture? Uh, you know, the whole thing. When is Jesus coming? Oh, I knew it. He's reading through. <laughs> he's reading through Genesis. He's got, he's got these questions that only a born-again Christian uh, would have. Now, here's the thing. 36 years of praying and trying and loving and being hurt and disappointed. Sometimes it's 36 seconds. Sometimes it's 36 weeks. And sometimes, my dear friends, it's 36 years. Pray and don't give up, especially when it's a matter of somebody's salvation. You know, there are some things you may say, well, you know, God kind of showed me that's not going to happen. And some of those things you kind of know, you know, and it's past and it can't happen. And so, yeah, you don't keep pushing those things. But things like somebody's salvation, is there breath in the body? (laughs) Come on, pray, believe. And don't take the delay as a sign of discouragement, but as a sign of encouragement to continue and watch God bring it to pass. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Well, first of all, I thank you for saving Judd. And I pray that you'd continue to fill him with the Holy Spirit. And uh, we all lift him up together, Lord, to you, that he would grow and be able to share the gospel with his lovely wife as well, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you do bring life and you are the life giver and nothing's too hard for you, Lord. Thank you for the lessons from this chapter and how you're stirring our hearts, Lord. And be with us as we try to seek you and just kind of in our own weak way, just to make some attempt to say, this is a crazy time in life. We should be on our knees with some degree of seriousness seeking the Lord. We need your grace and your help. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.